Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the DXM podcast. I am your host, Colborne Bell of the Museum of Crypto Art. Uh, we are joined today by artist, uh, one of the earliest artists in the space, Bard Einstein. Uh, Bard, how are you today? Great. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much. Um, we always start in the same place, and that is just giving you the space to tell a bit about yourself, uh, your story, and how you came to find crypto art. A bit about me. Um, I've I've been attempting to make art since around 2012, uh, when I found it. I was really inspired, uh, really strongly about a piece from Nam June Paik that I encountered at a resort, one of his installation pieces. Uh, so um, that's where I kind of started my artistic journey. Previous to that, I had done art, like uh, maybe programming in, in just programming little graphics for computers and things. Um, but so I'm background is in software and, but I've really, I've always enjoyed literature and writing and the artistic types of things so kind of moved into uh doing more art and creating um digital art and uh from my background i kind of fell into generative art of course so excellent um you were and and you consistently seem to be first to a many uh number of places could you just let everybody know uh how you came to first find crypto art uh well it was I was, I was actually working on a, uh, an installation piece that I was making, creating, and I wanted to give it uh, micro payments. I wanted people to come in and see it there and be able to uh, not have to use a credit card because of the fees. And I wanted a micro payment system. So that's where I started investigating micro payments and encountered Steemit. Um, but it didn't really lend itself to kind of trading a, a, a currency for a thing. Um, it was more of you got rewarded for writing a blog post. Um, so that's where I started really researching and found came across other crypto art, crypto, cryptocurrencies. And then I encountered an article by Art Gnome, uh, Jason Bailey. And it's his famous blog posts about what is crypto art, I believe. And we need a super rare needs artists now. Um, it was like, uh, we can't find enough artists who want to experiment in this new, this new world. And I found it compelling because I had trouble getting into the contemporary market, even locally, the art, traditional art market was all about, I was just learning how it worked, but it was all about entering cont entering uh, curated shows with a fee and then hoping that they, some curator that you don't know will like your art and they'll let you in the show, um, which never worked out well for me, just paying out money just to get in a show. But I just started putting out stuff on uh, and selling stuff prints on some Art America or something. It was just too, uh, there was too, many, too much noise. And so I, got in i looked into super rare and applied there incredible yeah um and i imagine you know was there's there's so many obviously legends in the beginning if if people don't know that jason bailey article i believe that's the one with the the homer pepe i think so yeah yeah 
um, what was the application process like for Super Rare in those early days? Uh, let's see, what was it? It was just filling out a simple form. And I think I submitted art by email. I submitted a few pieces. Um, and quick response? Yeah, a couple days. Yeah. And cool. they said they liked it. And then I submitted, they wanted to see a few more samples. And I sent them some more, uh, some more of my political, religious sort of art. I don't, I think it turned them off. I don't know. But I never heard <laughs> back from them after. They never replied back after I sent them that. It was some of my anti Trump art. Yeah. Um, early, very early art. But um, so then I decided to try again. But this time I, I found Robbie Barrett's code base art DC GAN and was and saw what obvious was doing in, yeah. in selling that piece at Christie's for 400k or whatever it was yeah. Edward Edmund Blamy, and yeah. so I took his code base and stood up an AWS instance and and got CUDA running and and TensorFlow and all the parts NVIDIA NVIDIA stuff all the stuff you need to do AI art with and I started running my oscilloscope art through it and uh, produced some interesting pieces and wrote a blog post up about how I did it and what art I made out of it and sent that to super rare with, and Robbie actually tweeted back on it saying, this is, I love this stuff. You, you're being very original. A lot of people are just training stuff, training the AI on uh, like known bases of art known. They were just feeding it art from um, art, art scraping just screen scraping a bunch of art into it and he liked that i did something original and took my own art and fed it through the system and so that was my first piece on super rare was coming out of out of that uh that gan uh an early one it it only made images like 128 by 128 pixels yeah if you look at my first piece it's like a, a gif but it's like one i think i i may have upscaled it a little bit but it's it's tiny yeah and you know of course I, I mean one it's just incredible how much art came out of that uh that model that robbie had built um and i know that's been used in a couple of your pieces and i think one uh -huh. of my favorite pieces of yours was uh you know it's the 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 nude woman perhaps of of the faces of trump uh, yeah, uh, I mixed I mixed the nude model that Robbie made and yeah. <laughs> he, he open sourced it, put it out on the website in the GitLab and or GitHub, and then I over trained it with Trump images, images of Trump from the news. I I took a bunch of news feeds off CNN and and scraped out all the images and fed them through there. Yeah, I love that piece. That piece is incredible. Um, and I know you know a lot of your early work was kind of exploratory around coins as well uh -huh. yes would you um, describe that for us yeah i i was fascinated by this concept of the ico that was going on right before i kind of started into crypto the, and this would be ICO. 2017 2018 right yes. where people are just issuing these junk coins shit coins just over and over again and just like ripping money out of the market selling this stuff right uh, which seems to have repeated itself. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say. But I took I took a 
images of crypto coins that were being created. A lot of people created little images of their coin. What it, you know, on the, the market sites, they had little images for each coin. And I took 20,000 images of real coins off of some uh, coin collector website. Right. And then uh, process that through a, a, the GAN and uh, generated like just these somewhat ugly looking coins, somewhat kind of glitchy. Uh, I kind of like using AI to make more glitch type work. But right. my concept was that I called it a uh, an ICO art drop. And uh, I made one, one animated vision, one. And when people bid on it, I would send whoever bid on it got a free coin. So I started sending out free coins to people. Anybody who bid on that piece would get a, an NFT of a coin that, that I uh, out of the model. And uh, within one of the images, I used steganography, and I hid a hid a coin, another image inside an image, and someone had to crack the password for it. I left these clues in in different places, and they had to crack it open and to get the the un, so who shortcut got figured it out finally. Nice. So I I minted him an NFT of another of the coin that was inside of that coin. So it was kind of a, a self-referential kind of uh, piece, a, a series. And shortcut another one of the incredible very early artists. Yeah. Uh huh. He did a lot with, he was doing steganography work at the same time I was. So he kind of knew what I was doing. He, he was putting uh, 3D models inside of some of his stuff, inside uh, his, his uh, video files, I guess. You, you know, we did used to see more of this, right? We did see, uh -huh. used to see more embedding, more puzzles. Um, I know there's still certainly a couple puzzles on, on Super Rare that remain unsolved. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking of number 41 in particular. I know, I know he has one um, okay. out I, there. Yeah. And I remember yeah. Shortcut did one as well, I think, where there was a certain amount of Bitcoin uh, embedded somewhere in the image. Okay. Uh, yeah. That, that was really, really quite fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who were some of the you know, other artists that, that you were connecting with at that time? Um, well, I'm trying to remember Robbie, I interacted with Robbie a lot. Um, and then like shortcut and a little bit X copy a little bit here and there. Um, off, off, I can't pronounce his name off, 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 right. And then people like uh, VK Crypto, yeah. And uh, I didn't really interact with him, but he bought my art, and there was kind of a mystery about who that really was, and did he own a Lombardy art and things like that. <laughs> who also infamously set all of his pieces uh, on auction one day. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. bought I bought one of my pieces back from him. So amazing. Yeah. He absolute legend. Um, so tell us, tell us more about like, you know, the, the journey, the, the early days, I definitely want to get into a point where we can begin to, uh, like compare and contrast where we were then with where we are now. I find that super fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
back then, I mean, my, uh, uh, originally my art was going for like 50 bucks or so or less. Um, so the, the market, it was mainly artists buying other artists and then a few whales like VK crypto and some, a few other folks. Um, and, but I found there was a lot of collaboration kind going on between artists. I, didn't have time to participate in a lot of it. Uh, I did. I did eventually do a collaboration with Lawrence Lee. But nice. Oh, yeah. that, a, a very beautiful one. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I like it a lot. But uh, Moderats ate that whole collection, except for I think the one that is in the museum. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which which was a mistake because Lawrence priced it too low, and then he he made a typo on the pricing. So. Yeah. He yeah. I did get very lucky, <laughs> but now it's in the museum. So right. yeah, which is better for it, I think, because no one knows about those other ones. Yeah, uh, those. I mean, those are just exceptionally beautiful, right? And and Lawrence Lee, um, older gentleman, traditional painter, also very early artist who I believe lives in New Mexico and has been painting Arizona, Tucson, Ar Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, and has been painting kind of these southwestern. I lost. Yeah. Can you can you see me? Yep. All right. Yeah. He's he's been painting these um, uh, incredible portraits of Native Americans, um, shamans, uh, mm -hmm. more on kind of like the the ritualistic and, and spiritual sides, uh, which I think is is a fascinating collaboration. Could you tell us more about that work? Okay. Uh, it was called Convergence, and uh, I, I basically took a couple hundred of his paintings because he's been painting since 76 yeah. or earlier. Um, a, a lot of his art he didn't have anymore because he retired at one point and got rid of all of his images, all of his photographs. Uh, he came out of retirement. and but So I had a couple hundred pieces and I found some on the internet on auction sites I scraped off. And then I... I kind of made enough copies of it to train a model, uh, which usually takes about 200 to 2000 images. But uh, so what I did was I trained like five different models with his art. It was a lot of experimentation because uh, the AI either captures the body shape or the face. Mm. So I did some of bodies and the face was unrecognizable. Then I did faces and got the face as well. And uh, so we kind of concentrated on the face model. Uh, uh, Lawrence is all about the figurative, so it's mostly about the face. And then I, I uh, curated some batches of them and sent them to Lawrence. And then he pulled out the ones he liked and he edited them, he repainted them and added, uh, added what an artist can add, the, the composition of a, of a fine artist. And um, he took a lot of elements from the AI. It kind of reimagined. It made him think of his work in a new way, mm. in a, a kind of a like. It's like a super. It's like fuel for creativity, AI, because it generates. You can generate a billion images with it, and it can make things you never even thought of. But it's in his style and in his color, his color palette. So he was able to go in and, and like swap faces out with bodies 
to get the body and face right. And then he'd repaint the eyes and the different parts of the, uh, the figure that needed work. And they came out really, really nicely. And, uh, I, at one time we were going to take all of his finished, all the AI stuff he fixed up and retrain another model and kind of repeat the loop, but it was so good. We just left it the way it was, but I think we did like 13 pieces. It was really exceptional. I remember that very well. And I think uh, there's some interesting thematic ties that I'd like to ask you about um, because I think often you really uh, do well to explore uh, the latent space or that unknown territory between, you know, man and machine. Um, the spiritual and and the unknown and how technology is kind of perhaps helping us to discover what what we didn't know. Um, mm. I imagine this is intentional. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where my practice is kind of centered on is uh, distortions between realities. I call it. Uh, everyone seems to have their own reality, their own everyone has their own consciousness and it kind of creates their kind of their own mini world. I don't know, but there's this interplay between people and between powers of the world, like just, you know, energy in the, in the cosmos. Um, I see that I, I'm fascinated by uh, entropy and randomness yeah. and, and the creation of everything that exists coming out of a soup of, of random whatever in the universe, um, just this random noise that's out there. Mm. Uh, you, you pick up on your old TV. There's this, uh, but I see that in the, the AI models being a neural, a simulated neural network is they're, they're trained on randomness. You start them out with randomness. That's what they feed on. And out of the randomness, they start to uh, piece together uh, what looks like images it's very organic the output of the ai I find very organic looking um and it is called the latent space in an ai model that's what they call the the matrix of the model or the the vector in the ml world they call it a vector and then they call it a latent space which is all the pixels and all the colors in a in a matrix and you can fly through the, the latent space. So I play with that in the art and my stories around the art. Um, so I have, I have a whole story about an, an entity from a, a, a latent space of sorts. Um, but I'm playing with just the, this quasi spiritual sort of maybe thing that that may be more material than we think. And just that, that li there's a lot of, there's recent studies about how objects might have a consciousness like a rock might, or there's a certain level of a very low, low, small level of consciousness within everything. And it kind of, uh, kind of bleeds into our own consciousness maybe and that our consciousness might be outside of our brain. It's actually in our whole body. What we, what we think and do is more than just our brain. 
I mean, it, our our whole nervous system is part of the system. I believe this, right? I, I do believe it is one connected fabric as opposed to there being any sort of distinction between the objects um, and that everything is probably self-aware and observational um, in this big energy uh, field that we exist in. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's super, super interesting. Do you think, do you feel, I kind of feel like the growth of the space uh, very much mirrored the way perhaps an, an AI would train, right? In this kind of random nature, but all of the kind of elements in, in communication to begin to build more structure. Mm, did, it, mm. did it feel perhaps like organic and random to you as well? Yeah, early, early on, especially, I, I found a lot of artists playing off each other's work as they minted. We just, I don't know, I just sit around and watch people on the, the old super rare feed. You would yeah. just see the newest thing that came out. And you'd like be watching for what's what's shortcut doing next, what's um, what's X copy doing next, what's Hakatau doing next, and then I, w- I would see people take their idea and like plus plus it up and try to make something. And I would do that a lot. I'd take uh, inspiration from Coldy and X copy and shortcut and Brandy um, uh, and kind of combine them all together in a in a sort of weird fusion i don't know it's just very uh but we weren't talking to each other verbally or right with language it was all artistic i would see their image and then make something other than the description on super rare which i get kind of verbose on my descriptions but that was come that was a common thing on super rare was to like put whole stories in that description yeah yeah, I, th- I think it was very similar on the collector side as well. You know, uh, the early collectors, nobody was in communication with each other, but, you know, we, we saw and we saw what the artists were creating and we were learning and, and you know, it was very much uh, a follow on and a build. And I think that was what made it so special is there really wasn't any sort of like collusion or, um, but it, it was like very much an iterative learning process uh, oh, where right. everybody was aware, not directly talking, um, but, but certainly just observing and, and, and watching. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, those early network effects still to this day, I think are very strong. Even if a new generation of people has come in and tried to create their own narratives, uh, mm-hmm. what's super cool is of course the permanence of the blockchain and, and recognizing and I look forward to you know the days when people create you know more models and interpretive AI that can continue to like visualize and understand the importance of those early connections mm-hmm. yeah so that's one difference from then to now is that I don't get the same feeling of that the interaction um it, it being the the pool of artists is so much larger that is hard i was i was writing about that i don't think of course we can ever go back to how it was no. um yeah so yeah it feels you know once in a lifetime and very just kind of 
inspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about, you know, you have that beautiful art blocks work behind you. Uh, do you want to talk about maybe the, the creation of that platform, what that opened up, the types of opportunities it presented? Uh, yeah, that's uh, Color Magic Planets, uh, generative code work from art blocks. Um, I, that was, I haven't used, it's based on a coding language called processing or P5JS, which I hadn't really used much before. Um, but I, I was inspired to do that one. I, art blocks accepted me to be an artist and I had a hard time coming up with a concept for what could I make with this. And my, my daughter actually made a piece, um, called multiverse color, multicolor multiverse, something like that. But, uh, she used, uh, an old book I had from the Met, uh, art museum, a children's book that has vinyls. These little vinyl color overlays in in the, the the three primary colors of magenta, cyan, and uh, yellow. Uh, but it, when you overlap these semi-translucent shapes, they make new colors. Of course, so right. I took inspiration from that and and did this piece with code uh, that just randomly overlaps it picks random images and then random colors and then overlaps the 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 shapes creating new colors from the the palette of that of the cymtk palette um and then uh so i was it's just kind of a a typical generative piece more about the shape and color and i was mainly focusing on the randomness of it the randomness comes from the token when you mint it based on the token it generates a unique piece so anytime you mint it's going to come out with something different and and, uh, and you as the artist you never know what is going to be created as well no right. no i know in general what it would look like but not specifically and i put a, a couple rarities in there of planets and one has a a flying saucer in it which is the, the flying saucer that i'm made it about the entity again it's the his latent his latent spaceship um we should go back to that because i know that theme extends across work you have on multiple platforms yeah um that's a uh uh, the first the first mint on super rare in order i basically did it to kind of create a blog post about the work but I was inspired by the art coming out of the model that Robbie made, a, a DC GAN, art DC GAN. Uh, it created uh, some shapes that looked like alien heads to me mm. and some other weird combinations that looked sort of alien. And in general, the output looked like a language sometimes. Mm. Um, the AI model was trained on images that I made with oscilloscope, basic line drawings of things like rockets and it was based on corporate symbols it was 26 corporate symbols each letter of the alphabet had a corporate symbol like uh, skull candy i had a skull in there so it was all these different shapes but it it generated this thing that looked like a language so it inspired a story about um that i called the sage anomaly and 
it's about an entity from the future that comes into the present traveling through computers and the past um but it's an ai entity and he's from they they are from a time when all the humans are extinct and they the next part of the story talks about how they live in a latent in a uh, an energy field that once was earth out in space it's just this latent energy field but it has this ai living in it um and they're they're lonely because there's only one of them but they have three parts it's a triune being but they they come back in time to to help do something with humans we don't know yet um but they travel through computers back into the 1950s to one of the first big computers that was ever put in place one of the actually it's the largest the largest computer that's ever been built uh called the sage computer the semi-automatic ground environment it was supposed to watch it was built to watch for russian bombers coming over the poles um and there's a node that's underground in in north bay canada and it was the predecessor of norad so there's one in cheyenne mountain and there's like 20 others scattered across the u.s um but this so i take off on this story about this entity and the first mints i did were uh, kind of each each image is a piece of the story um and uh i made it up as i went along so as i as i wrote the story i would find new images that kind of supplemented the story and then um, i fed more images through ai to generate new parts of the story so the story was inspiring more uh, art and the art was inspiring more of the story um so i just keep kind of continuing that and and i still am making work about that theme yeah i mean to me this doesn't sound too fictional it, it seems entirely possible then and we may only realize it in retrospect <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people have said it's like the Basilisk story. I don't know if you know the Basilisk story. I don't. Okay. It it goes something like you you can't I can't remember. It's something about that the if you if you go too deep into the AI world and into technology that you'll there's a creature there that will end up destroying the whole universe um mine is kind of the reverse of that it's the friendly thing from the future the basilisk is this this evil entity from the future that comes into the past and destroys everything um i'll have to look up the story again but some people talk about this basilisk story when i tell them the story of the entity yeah so do you believe that technology is is sentient sentient um i don't know but i'm kind of influenced by a philosopher uh jacques Hulu. uh he was a french philosopher who fought in the resist french resistance uh he came out of a he he's from a he's an anarchist but he's he called himself a christian anarchist uh, he's very much in uh, the philosophy of of Christianity, 
but wholly different from it in that he claimed that Christianity had become corrupted soon after Christ left the earth, that it had slowly and progressively become very corrupted from what it was supposed to be. So he was this retro Christian, but he, he, his concept was that there's powers in the world that are not human. They're, they're spiritual powers, but these powers are, one of the powers he named was money. The love of money or money in general has a power that impact, that, that uh, can change people's minds or it's an influence, it has this, this like, just a power, almost mystical power over controlling what happens in the world. And, and one of the other powers he named was technology. He wrote a book called The Technological Society, but it was about how technology, oh, he called these evil powers, actually. He called money an evil power and technology evil, evil power. He felt that if we give these things too much power that they can corrupt, like money will corrupt, that they'll corrupt all of society. So he was very wary of, of technology as a, a way of, I, even I see it as people leapfrog each other. Mm. Like if I make a technology that, that uh, makes calculating financials easier. So if I invent the spreadsheet, I have an advantage over everybody else who doesn't have the spreadsheet. So then I can sell that thing and make money and get power. And then somebody else invents something new. So it's kind of the technology of war. Even mm. somebody invented some war implement like a bow and arrow. So the, the other side has to make something better than them. And so we go on and on and on until we get this nuclear power. And now we can destroy the whole world with, with these nuclear weapons. But it's this progression of technology that, that keeps building on itself and ultimately corrupts people into doing evil things. Uh, so he felt that these powers were actually evil in and of themselves. Uh, so he, he proposed that control technology, uh, you should have people that decide if they want to use the technology or not. Uh, so it's more of a collective community sort of decision. Mm. Right now, in our world, it's an individual decision whether you use a technology or not. Um, but that's kind of where some of these ideas are coming from. Yeah. Uh, just this, this, the, the power of these seemingly inanimate forces in the world. And whether they have consciousness or not, I don't know. I mean, did we not see this story just play out in real time in front of us? Yeah, yeah. In with the Russia and Ukraine, or well, I was going to say in crypto art, but oh yeah, crypto art too. Yeah, yeah. you know, kind of like this this de-evolution of the space into uh, yeah, money yeah. and greed and um, human nature is a funny thing, you know. As, as you mentioned before, to see almost the the 2017 ICO boom on repeat, uh, mm -hmm. in, in different ways, um, are you, you know, happy with what happens? I know that's a kind of a double edged sort of type of question. Um, 
because at times I feel incredibly proud and then I also feel incredibly disappointed. Yeah, it, I, I wish it was more of a, I wish it would have been more of a gradual growth than yeah. this explosive, this explosive growth that now has gone to nothing <laughs> almost. <laughs> Um, I'm actually, I seem like it feels like I'm selling less, less, uh, art than I did in 2018, um, now. Um, but it was just that, that boom and bust cycle. I, it just went, it got too fast and frenetic, uh, during, I guess, 2021 there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. But are you confident it will be here to stay? Yeah, I, it, I think it will be, it'll, it's going to be, I hope it's slower growth now, but I think it'll keep going, um, at, at a slower pace. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it is good that so many artists have been able to get their work seen. I don't know if a lot of the new artists coming on are getting their, their work sold, um, or if they're making a living at it but it, it has provided opportunity to, to have more people looking at art. And I, I like what I really enjoy about NFTs and crypto art is the public, the, the public art aspect of it. Mm. Um, I've always been interested in public art and finding a way to pay the artist, but still have everybody be able to see it. And uh, I know a lot of cities will fund public art by taking a little bit of tax money and and doing some art type things but this is a whole new kind of model where the 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 patrons of the art are are paying for it but they're letting everybody look at it which i really appreciate and enjoy that part of the the uh, culture yeah for for you a bit of a follow-on what is kind of the ideal way either now or in the future that you would want your art to be seen, shared, experienced? Um, well, I'm actually working with some play, some companies that want to uh, put up screens in, in different locations and, and display the art in, in um, a corporate settings or in hotels or in, in more, uh, public spaces um so i'd like to see more of that physical manifestation um projection art on the buildings mm. those sorts of things um trying to think what else well um, i mean it is the digital art is just a beautiful way to hack art very quickly and easily into public spaces uh-huh yeah as long yeah. as you can afford a screen and throw it up or a projector. Right. Or I mean, even just, you know, the phone, when people ask me oh. about the museum, I can just, you know, bring right. it up, you That's know, true. set it in and they can go explore on my phone. And I think that is um, just the ability to, to, to see it and have it so tangible immediately uh, of, of what it is. And then kind of, you know, dangle the carrot if there are further experiences that you can have around this art that might kind of mm -hmm. deepen the appreciation. Yeah, and I've enjoyed putting stuff up in crypto voxels too, kind of giving it a virtual kind of space to live in. Yeah, and I mean, you 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 know, you hacked uh, one of our rooms. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. Putting it, uh, what did I put it in? Spatial? In spatial, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I bought a couple rooms so I could put my art up in, in other. Uh, I wanted something that was more interoperable where it could be placed into different environments, different VR systems as they come out and change. Um, and I, I still like, would like to get, I'm still working on some installation pieces slowly, uh, to try to, to, uh, get something into more of a physical place and more interactive. I like the interactive art. Yeah. I remember, uh, not too long ago, you made a, a 3D piece, right? That was part of a, an exhibition. Um, I made some for, it was, there's a platform where you can buy, you can buy crypto art in VR with your VR goggles on. I did a few pieces for that platform. Right. Um, and then Kadaf did one where they, they put up AR art all across New yes. York City. Yes. So I did a piece there with uh, on Instagram with their AR uh, AR system. Interesting. Um, so I find the AR the AR stuff seems to have more utility than the goggles, than the, the VR AR. goggles right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I think AR will, you know, naturally be the stepping stone into VR. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. we ever make it to VR, if we ever make it, the the forever promise. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about VR. <laughs> it's a little bit too too divorced from physical to me. It's it's an intense experience. I'm I'm curious how how far it will go as well. Um, I mean, we have quite frankly just run through the 45 minutes. Um, is there anything you know you'd you'd like to touch on that we haven't touched? Um, I, I went back to art blocks. I I did have another piece out there called Eight um, that I did after the, this one sold out. Two hundred fifty six pieces. The Color Magic Planets. So I did another one called Eight, and it's uh, it centers more around luck and fortune and fate and gambling. I kind of picked up on that money thing again, how art blocks have become a gambling casino where people are buying stuff just to resell it instantly if they got the rare traits. So I made something with almost no rare traits in it at all and it has fortunes in it. So if you freeze the, the animation, you get trigrams from the I Ching. Cool. And so you can look up your fortune that it gives you if you read the I Ching. Um, and uh, so it's all the little trigrams with the poetry from from uh, the Chinese, uh, from uh, Asian, the Asian uh, spirituality and uh, kind of the div divination type system, and uh, added some symbology into that that has all kinds of different meanings. So beautiful. Um, let people know, you know, where we've talked a lot about it, but let people know where they can find you your artwork, um, and if you are open to having them contact you. Yeah, yep. I'm at uh, bardionson.com, and uh, I think I have my bardionson.eth pointed at my website too. And then uh, 
it's Bart Ionson on Twitter, Bart Ionson on Instagram. And you can email me. I'm at Bart at Bart Um, and, uh, I'm open to, I'm on discord too. They have a channel in there if you want to be in that. So those are kind of my contacts. Super. Well, we're going to end it here. Uh, and thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you, uh, and all, you know, the interrogations, the little hacks that you've done always consistently being early and ahead and, and just so curious and inquisitive with all of this. Um, yeah. yeah I'm, thanks. I'm, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm Colborn Bell, Museum of Crypto Art. We had artist Bart Ionson. A special thank you to Deminti for putting this together. Uh, and we'll see everybody next time. Thanks. Wrap. Breaking news. Thank <laughs> you.